to the Black Cast. Christian Blatt at Christian DMZ here, casting away on the Black Cast at Blattcast, B L A D T C A S T, the Black Cast on Facebook, at Black Cast on Twitter. And I always forget, also on Instagram, one day there'll be some more pictures on there. Maybe. Back for another round of black casting is my friend Tim Sicardo at Tim Sicardo, not timsicardo.com. Please don't go there. <laughs> that only makes one person want to go there more. <laughs> and it's Tim Sicardo. You're like, hmm, how are, how are things going on the old website mailbag? Uh, yeah. Let's check it out. I, I mention all of that because uh, I, I always want to get it out of the way because you forget. It's like, well, what do people have to promote on a podcast? Usually it's their social, social media, you know? I mean, if... if <laughs> social security number. Social usually. security number. I'll give... <laughs> over the next few black casts, I'll give out one number of my social security number, but I won't do them in order. Yeah. But if you're able to put it together, I'll, I'll give you guys a, a black cast t-shirt. If you can guess my social security also, number. Also, they'll have access to all your financial um, holdings. Yeah, but the t-shirt it's kind of more important, don't you think? True. <laughs> yeah, very, very. As long true. as it's not like a beefy tee. It's like if it's like a soft T-shirt. Then... I think it's a Texas tee, actually. Mm-hmm. The the Blackcast T-shirts. They're not as as soft as. Wait, are there Blackcast T-shirts? Yeah. Oh, I believe you're going to end up with one after oh, all this awesome. that you can wear to probably the gym or running out in the neighborhood. It's funny because a friend of the Blackcast, a real life friend too, uh, Jason Blair, was wearing his Blackcast T-shirt when he was out. And someone assumed that that was a reference in some way to Black Lives Matter and something about taking a stand. And it was the craziest thing. And that I was like, that person was bringing a lot of their own thoughts to this. It was something that I never would have even thought about for a split second. Just because both begin with B L A? That's yeah, it. That's literally I, it. I think that that's really what it was. And I was like, but how does that even. Like, how does that possibly get into someone's head? So here's what Jason wrote. Jason writes, Dear Casey, I, no, I was wearing my black ass t-shirt yesterday when a woman told me that I was misconstruing the meaning of, quote, Black Lives Matter. I looked confused. She said that she took my shirt to mean that I felt like an outcast to Black Lives Matter because Black <laughs> Lives Matter wasn't speaking for people like me. In short... She saw Black Cast and immediately put it together that it stood for Black Lives Matter Outcast. I told her, actually, my buddy Christian Blatt has a podcast. She paused a few seconds and said, oh, I guess that makes sense, too. <laughs> yes, also, they make equal sense. They make equal sense, yeah. The fact that my name is Christian Blatt and I have a Black Cast makes as much as, as, a, as a Black Lives Matter Outcast. See, I had to read the post because I'm like, yeah, wait, how did it even make sense to her? Yeah. So you might get exchanges like that wearing a Black Cast t-shirt. So it's please like, share them with us like if you do. A, a, a comedy writing term that comes up a lot is, is A to C. Like, like when you think of one thing, instead of just thinking of the next thing, the B thing, you take one extra step and go further away on your joke, and it's A to C, so it's a little more unexpected. Going from Black Cast to Black Lives, Black Lives Matter Outcast is like A to G. Like it's <laughs> so, so many crazy steps you need to take to get there. But that's kind of what's going on out there in the world today. I think a lot of people go from A to G, and I don't mean attorney general. I just mean they go from A to G, and it's like they skip all the other steps. It matters. Like, well, clearly this is where we needed to end up. Yeah. This is where you and I needed to end up, though. Blackcast. So the last time you were on the Blackcast was only a week ago. The time before that was a little bit more than four years ago. But those episodes, you were broken up over two episodes, episodes 10 and 11. They were a week apart. So now, again, we're a week apart. Now, after this, it'll probably be another four years. 
but by that point we'll be at like I don't know what block has like 460 480 or something so you know that'll be pretty good to keep up I can't imagine doing it for that many more years but I do have fun I mean it's crazy to me that you have so many not crazy that you shouldn't but just crazy to me how many you've I don't know if I've done 230 whatever of anything That's yeah so it's just it, there was a certain point where it was getting a lot of views and at least samples so my goal at that point was well I have to put it up every week the goal was the same day but it, it just depends sometimes you can't record when you want to but every week and I've either every week with a couple exceptions I've put up what I like to call the old uh, black cast classic because a lot of the old episodes are not posted online and I always kind of wait for anyone to give a shit that they're not posted online be like hey how, how come I can't get the first 120 episodes of the black cast it's like have you asked? Yeah. <laughs> because I would probably post them if you wanted them. And I'll occasionally, you know, when like something comes out, I'm like, oh, this story from this old black That's cast what makes I was sense. Thinking. When you have an archive like that, because my wife's a blogger, as you know, I'm saying this while looking no, at you. No, but, but you can certainly tell. To the, the world. Um, my wife's a blogger, and, and the big thing is like the more of your, the more your archive grows, the more like it becomes weirdly relevant at other times. Like uh, articles she wrote four years ago will suddenly be showing up in Google because they a current event references something that they're about and they take on this whole new life. Or I imagine when you're doing an interview show, maybe you interviewed somebody in episode yeah. 40 who all of a sudden is in a cool funny, movie. Funny that you say episode 40 because an episode that I reposted last year was Black Cast number 39 where I interviewed this comic book writer, Chris Claremont, who wrote the X-Men for 17 years. And he like gave me an hour and a half of his time when wow. I'd been told 20. Uh, 20 hours? And 20, he, and he, <laughs> he only gave you an hour and a half? I, I, I was very upset, yeah. but uh, I, I made do with the hour and a half that I got. And so when the most recent X-Men movie came out, I was like, oh, you know, this is a good chance to repost that. And a lot of people were hearing it for the first time. So I don't have a lot of like really good gets like that. But case in point, I did post some highlights of the past episodes that you were on because I knew that if we were starting from zero, we would tell some of the same stories. So I was just like, let me just put yeah, it back I'm out there. Yeah, I'm glad you pay attention because I, I probably just tell you all the same stories. <laughs> I would Look, as much as I want to tell the story about Max Weinberg drying his pubes in the NBC Fitness Center in every episode of the Black Cast, I can probably only tell it in three or four. So I have to save it for the next time I tell it. It's going to have to be a good moment. Maybe I can tell it to Max backstage well, at one a of those Bruce concert. Where we take the audio of you telling it and like some great animator like does some, I would love that the, uh, the shorties watching shorties <laughs> model bladdies watching bladdies yeah. uh, it's just working title bladdies so having bladdies we talked last time about a lot of sort of inspirations things that helped us shape our sense of humor and what we needed to pick up on was a conversation from 2013 where we were sort of I'm trying to bring the audience up to speed how you ended up as a writer on Community. And we very abruptly had to kind of stop the story. And here's the good part about that. Not only are we going to tell it now, but you've actually gone on and done a couple of other great, I would say, very high-profile projects, you know, that you have written lots of different kinds of things. All comedy, so I guess not different. You know, you're not yeah. you're not also writing, you know, period yeah. dramas I'm, for I'm a the one BBC. Half trick pony. Yeah, <laughs> right. But that half trick, that's that's the difference. And then how to get that half trick is something that we'll try and learn by the end of this hour or hour plus. So if you want to know 
Tim's backstory in terms of how he ended up you know, just working in production after we moved to Los Angeles. That exists a couple episodes ago, the little highlight reel, as we like to call it. But you ended up working on a show called Ten Items or Less, which I think is the definition of one of those sort of fringe shows that there are definitely people who remember but it's more like, oh, that actor I've seen on a lot of different things. Like the the main guy, and I do not remember his name. John Lear. Yeah, he's on kind of like everything. He like you see him a, a lot. Bunch. Yeah. And then there was this guy Bob Clendenin who kind of he's like a tall, like odd looking man who shows up everywhere. Yeah. He's like a neighbor on Cougar Town. He's I was going to mention that. That guy's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So and so you get to see those people. So the weird thing about that show is that it was about a supermarket. And talk a little bit about where you filmed that show. Oh, we, we first of all, it was, um, before we even talk about the location, which was a supermarket, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to look with people forward. in suspense. <laughs> Let's make the wait for We're four years. We're breaking the rules. Um, it, was a, it was an improv hybrid show in the style of Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, production-wise, not like content-wise. But we used their crew, actually. So basically, used the Curb, th- the, the the curb, curb Crew. crew. Um, because they knew how to do this thing. So basically, we would write outlines of the episode. So we knew what scenes there were. There was a story. We knew what characters needed to be in which scenes. And like therefore, like props and costume and wardrobe could get the things that would be needed for those scenes. But within the scenes, it was all improv. And we would basically shoot it like uh, with uh, like a reality show-style crew, like three kind of hovering cameras. They call it like an ENG crew sometimes. Um and it would all be just improvised, improvised, improvised. Now, John Lear was the star and was in most scenes, was also the creator, the co-creator of the show, along with the director, Nancy Hauer, who was co-creator of the show. They wrote it. And then, so Nancy would be kind of directing the improv from outside the scene, but John would be directing it from inside the scene, basically. And then we'd all cut it together. So we're shooting this weird improvised show in a real grocery store, John's and Reseda. Which, um, for people who live in Los Angeles, Vons is a very popular, common chain. It's an offshoot of Safeway. You see Vons everywhere. Every once in a while, you'll see a John's with a eerily similar logo to Vons. Yeah. And you're always like, oh, John's. But you had to do it up in Reseda. Yeah. Which we all know Reseda from Tom Petty's Free Fallen. That's yes. kind of all we need to know about Reseda. So we're constantly running into Petty. He's, he's getting in our shots. He's, 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 he's eating all our food. Ugh. Places infested with Petties. Yeah, so we were in this real grocery store shooting this improvised show while the grocery store was open. Right, so was it a 24-hour grocery store? I don't or? know. But, um, but you guys shot late at night was what I remember you telling sometimes, me. Sometimes, I mean, literally depending on, you know, how shoots go. Is it supposed to be light? Is it supposed to oh, be okay. dark out? I thought you only were able to shoot at night, so I didn't realize no, that. No, not only. I think I was confusing you with clerks, yeah. where they had to shoot after the we convenience would, store was closed. Um, no, no, so we'd be shooting, and there'd be people, and it'd be like, if anyone who's ever been to a live taping of something knows, like, when you're walking in the door, there's that big plaque that usually says, like, by entering this room, you um, say that you were allowed to use your image, your blah, blah, blah. We had those at the entrance to the grocery store. So basically, half our extras were just like people walking around buying hot dogs in the background. I got pretty good at like sitting behind the monitors with my headphones on and like know- knowing the look on like an old lady's face when I could tell that she wanted to get like a can of something that I was blocking her from. So I'd like I was, did a lot of like handing people soup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you got to sit there behind the monitors on that side of it, but before that show, you had been what production assistant writer's assistant on some pilots or what got you that job specifically that job i 
just like quick hits. I had worked on Law and Order, a few Law and Orders. My boss left Law and Order and went to Fox to do a show called Canterbury's Law, which like was Juliana Margulies as a lawyer before she became the good wife. And she one, was the bad lawyer. She was she was the four episodes and canceled <laughs> lawyer. But that was a Sony show, and that was in my era of like being a comedy writer who was working as an assistant on dramas and was just like, I gotta get out of this world. And so it was Sony. So I was like, whenever I would deal with Sony executives, I'd be like, Hey, you ever hear of a writer assistant job? Here's my resume. And you do that like 80 times. And one time someone wrote back, Hey, there's actually this show 10 items or less that needs a writer's assistant. So it was, it was, that was how I got in over there or at least got to meet over there. Yeah, no. And, and it's funny because anybody who has had an entertainment job and has a, tried to make any kind of movement that maybe is anything other than a lateral move, you know, something that's like, oh, I kind of want to be in a different field to some extent, a different area. Uh, here's my resume. Usually, yeah, that's a pretty good ratio, though, 80 to 1. You know, you did it 80 times yeah, in one time. Yeah, I was just like, so many, if I went through my old email, there would just be so many, like, me emailing resumes to people I don't even remember anymore. Yeah, like if you did a, a Gmail search of just resume.doc, yeah. it'd be like, oh, look, there's 6,000, <laughs> which I probably have about that many. Basically, it was that's how I got in there. And then I had writer's assistant experience from Law & Order, which has come into play several times. Like when I when I interviewed to be a writer's assistant on Community, that was the only thing that made me qualified to do that. Normally, they don't like to give that job to someone who's never done it before. But the fact that I had done it on a, even if it was a, you know, a, a murder of the week show, which is interesting because the Law and Order shows don't have writers' rooms in Los Angeles, right? But or they, actually at all. Well, I, they do if you lie about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. It's very similar to any job you want it to be similar to, <laughs> as long as the words you're using aren't accurate. Yeah, and it, it's it's weird because I think that working on Law and Order, I just assume, oh, I guess only comedies have writers' rooms like that. But then you realize, like, oh no, every other yeah. drama, every show any has show, a writers' room. And any show that like needs, especially serialized shows, if you're trying to tell a story yeah. every year, everyone's got to be on in sync. Which I guess when it's non-serialized Law and Order shows, it's just like, all right, let's just keep track of which hat Munch wore in this episode yeah. and have him wear a different one next and, week. Exactly, or like. Every once in a while, there was the weird thing where, like, they dropped some little bit of personal information. Oh, yeah. You know, like, what's her name at the end of that series just goes, like, is this because I'm a lesbian? Oh, like, okay. Eliz Elizabeth Rome. I don't remember what her character's name was. But, yeah, yeah that was the way out. Is like, is this because I was a lesbian? And, and Fred, the now late Fred Thompson is like, no. And that was, by Dick Wolf. that was, like, so character-centric. Well, somebody at Wolf Films uh, actually made up buttons that said is this because i'm a lesbian i i think i had one at one point actually That's because funny. you know those shows as tim knows but the audience will be interested to know very territorial and they all kind of hated each other and any success for any of them drove the people on the other shows crazy the idea that law and order svu would get emmy nominations because they would have high profile high profile guest stars it basically turned into them being characterized, I think, Law and Order Love Boat or Law and Order Fantasy Island. And that was in an article. Like, always, that was an entertainment week It would article. just be like, this week on Law and Order SVU, Betty White is a pedophile. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's like, this week, this is an actual episode on Law and Order. Martin Short is a psychic, or is he? 
And by the way, he's not. Oh, <laughs> Just really? Spoiler alert. This yeah. show about gritty reality yeah. doesn't like break that for a moment to say psychics are no. real. I, I hate to I hate to ruin the illusion there. So but that's amazing that you just lied about it. God, why did I put more lies in my resume or at least in interviews? I think it might have been a lot of like more like omission. Like I remember being yeah. interviewing for community and them being like, so like you you know this stuff, right? Like you've been in rooms before. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was like a yeah, 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 yeah lie. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. As opposed to just being like, so here I am, captain of the room. So basically, to borrow from Seinfeld, you yada, yada, yada them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, so I worked on a on a show. I was a writer's assistant, yada, yada, yada. I want to work in your writer's room. Yeah. I guess I, I confirmed someone else's untrue statement <laughs> emphatically. That sounds like something you would say to a congressional hearing. Yeah, you know, that that's sort so. of very carefully worded. Like there'd be somebody that whispers that in your ears, like you confirmed what someone else's mistake was. Uh, so you went from this ten items or less show, and did the show end or did the community the show opportunity come up? Ended because I had between the two things, I wrote for the internet for like a year. Oh, yeah, you did a lot of just articles. Of, you know, last time we talked about our website, Inside Joke, but also we had a friend who had a website, and there were... You and also that was wrote. like, there was like money involved. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, one that was, was Huffington Post funded. It was a, a website called 23.6 that the idea of, like, instead of like all the news 24-7, it was 236. Uh, and that was during 2008 election season. Yeah, which also was during a writer's strike. So there, it was actually a good time to get people, you know, interested in writing for a website. And yeah, I yeah, know you got paid for those. So I was doing that and like supporting myself because people didn't understand how little you could pay internet writers yet. So as a writer's assistant on Ten Items or Less, does that turn into like, oh, we want to have you around on set because you're funny, or did, oh, did that yeah. take time, or was it that, right away? Basically, I was there for two eight episode seasons. The first season, I was a writer's assistant, and I was helping them out, like in the writing process. And I was also just doing producer assistant stuff. It was very, it was like the way I describe it is it felt like an indie film, but for TV. Super small crew. There, like I said, there were the, the two sh- um, creators of the show ran it. One was a star, one was the director. They both wrote everything. So it was like that was yeah. The so small just anything and that then anybody it was me can do. Me and this other guy, he was like a called a something something producer. And we would basically. <laughs> so for people that can't see, which is everyone, uh, I put down my cup and it's splash water. Uh, not everywhere. It was kind of like. A, Just like on the part of your laptop that makes me not worry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So anyway, continue your thought. Take a picture. Show everybody. Uh, let's see. So at the end of at the end of the writing process, like I had, you know, become friends with these people and we kind of had a good rapport and they were just like you know it'd be helpful if you could stick around on set we'll extend your contract for for the shooting period so then i was on set and my job was literally to kind of catalog the improv like just bullet points like this is what's happening in this take oh of course you would need somebody to do that yeah. though well, because... the problem was they, they were, i guess in the first season when i wasn't there they'd send all this stuff to the editors and the editors who are good at editing are not like comedy people and maybe don't know the story as well as the, someone who's been working with the writers for months writing it so i would kind of catalog all the stuff in that take and then at the end of the scene i would huddle up with the director and we'd look at it together and she'd be like oh, I want this run from take three, this run, that run, put them in this order or whatever. And I would kind of take all that info and I would basically write a narrative version of the scene, just prose, not like characters and dialogue, 
of how the scene should go, and then in parentheses, uh, so it'd be like, you know, uh, John walks into the grocery store and realizes that an old woman is stealing cheese, parentheses, take five, minute ten, or whatever. So that was, I forget what we called those, but I'd give those to post so that when it became time for them to start looking at cuts, the cuts had a lot of the stuff they liked in it and it was in the right order. So it was kind of like figuring out what the shape of the scene should be. And then because of that, because I was knowledgeable of that stuff, and also because I had post-experience editing all our movies, Yeah, I think my, as a side note, my, a lot of my career is like doing stuff at one point that I thought ended up being fruitless, but then in 10 years turned out to be a good thing. Like So like doing post on yeah, our like movies. Knowing how Avid worked meant that like once they saw that, they're like, oh, you should sit with the editors and help us edit this stuff. Because like, both you know the material because you were on set and you cataloged it. You understand the narrative arc we're going for because you helped us write it after. And you know how to sit in a room with an editor and talk about what they're doing and not sound like an idiot. Yeah, which is... One of those interesting things, because it, it sounds like you're pretty much doing, I don't know, four jobs on that one show, but That's it's just because great. you had that skill. You were you were maybe not a five-tool player, but you're definitely a four-tool player, which is still great. You're still uh, going to get in the I, Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm a tool for sure, my friend. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I did that um, during post, and then the second season they brought me back, and they were just like, look it, like, we want you to do what you did last year, and you, of course, did so much more than being a writer's assistant. We'll call you an associate producer. So I did, Which is great. Yeah, so that was a nicer credit, but also, like, it was, a, it was another year of just being involved in every single aspect of production because there's so few people and there's only two bosses and you, you know oftentimes like i go to this meeting to represent them or i go to tell this person you know i have a conversation with the art people because they can't be in 10 places at once or whatever so like but so then when it comes to me working on bigger shows like community and stuff it's the same thing but on a larger scale so like i can i can walk to post on community and know how to handle myself there and i can know how to talk to a costume person on community and you know all so because of 10 items because of that experience i don't even know does that experience help you get the job on community or is it really that fake writers room at law and order that you it didn't was, work in it was combination of the writer's assistant credit right. on this comedy okay so like you know so comedy experience writers room yeah experience and, and equals. I, I, like I, I don't know how much i went into the, the bare bones aspects of 10 items but they knew i was a writer's assistant on a comedy there and also like it was a sony show and so was community so like when you're a writer's assistant as you know because you have been you're this weird link between production and the writers yeah. So like a lot of times you're doing notes for the writers or doing research or whatever but also you have a bunch of paperwork you need to do with the studio because none of the writers are going to like fill out this form or that form or whatever so you, you kind of become known to the production people so when i went over to, to community and I, I was like hey i'm interviewing for this job at community production people tell them i can hand yeah. in forms on time tell them <laughs> i can you know what i mean like i had we had a good working relationship where like i did all the dumb shit you wanted me to do so you walk in as a writer's assistant and are you there a full season before? And you're given a whole script, or did you share a script? I can't remember My, how that worked out I for you. I started Community on season two, and that season I was like determined to ask nothing, ask for nothing, and just right. be like good at my job. And I already knew that the first season they had given a script to a writer's assistant, and then that person did not get staffed and left creating the job that I came in and filled. But then the next season, the one that I started at, season two, they had already promised the second writer's assistant from season one that uh, script that year. So that person got a that script. That person got a script, so I knew I was not getting one. I just kind of, like, put my head down, 
learned how to be a writer assistant in a room and then also like tried to contribute like once i started getting to know everybody you know what i mean it, it's like the doctor thing like first do no harm like when you're a writer assistant trying to contribute like first don't fuck up your regular job or everyone will be mad yeah and i've heard of writer's assistants and it depends on the room there's you can be let go because you don't contribute enough you know in addition to your job you don't have enough suggestions or the thing that I would always be worried about, talking too much. And, you know, Heather, as a writer's assistant at Orange is New Black, she picks her spots on when to talk, but she doesn't want to be one of those, like, why is she talking so much? Like, that's definitely the thing she doesn't want to do. But it's it's a very casual, con- you know, conversational. Now she's in her second year. I think she's a lot more comfortable with that. So, I, but I can completely understand, you know. I mean, I've heard about people on completely different shows, just people who have had those jobs and just what it's like. But for Community, it was sort of obviously created by Dan Harmon, who I feel like kind of in the same sweet spot as people who know the black cast. I mean, obviously Rick and Morty, and he spearheaded the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 in addition to community but those were really late nights like the kind of nights we always expected that if we ever worked on snl we would be there writing and you know yeah. basically all night and those were like i would say 24 hours but sometimes i was there for like 30 something in a row like it was just you know we were always behind always trying to come up with something better and in my situation that was helpful in a weird way because at like three in the morning when you're shooting in four hours and everyone's super tired the room's moving pretty slow and the best idea wins so, like, there's not a million ideas flying at once, and I'm trying to pick my time to throw mine out. There's, like, nobody talking for five minutes. So if I pitch a joke and people like it, yes, that's going in. And so you would make sure to get them in the weakest condition possible. I, and I then just sabotage s- the yeah. show. Kind um, of like a matador, basically. You were yeah. a comedy matador, and they were basically almost dead, and then you stabbed them with some funny. But it was also a show in which, like, the very end stages of rewriting, like, Dan liked to get behind the keyboard himself. Like a lot of writers' rooms function in the way that people are talking and the writer's assistant is typing up the script on a large TV monitor. Um, but Dan kind of liked to get in there and, and type himself. So when he was doing that, I, I suppose I had the option to go like take a break or whatever, but I just kind of sat in the room and, and, yeah, but and did what I'm sure else did. in that moment and also looking back, you can't imagine like, why would I have taken a break oh, yeah. during that? I yeah. was also like, like the idea I was finally on a comedy show after being on all these like shows where someone got killed every week. And um, it was a show I liked because I really was a big fan after the first season. And it was a show that, that, that had proven that it gave scripts to writer's assistants. So. Which is interesting because, you know, my wife worked on Mad Men where there were a number of those opportunities. She had the opportunity to write an episode. You worked on Community. It's funny because I've known so many people who've worked on shows where that happens despite the fact that I'd say, what, 95% of shows don't do that. You know, they're like, you can be our writer's assistant. We understand you want to be a writer, but you're not going to write on this show. And sometimes you get told that on shows and they do let you. American Dad is like that, too. We give give scripts to a writer's assistant and a lot of our staff is former writer's assistants. And what it comes out, there's some sort of rule, and I forget what it is, depends on how long your season order is. You're supposed to have a certain amount of freelance Freelance, scripts that don't go to someone on staff. Yes, there's a million great professional writers out there who come in and do the job, but the writer's assistant's been in the room the whole time. They not only know every episode that's aired, they know all the roads people have gone down and said, no, this does not work, and come back. They know all the things that people think about these characters that we have yet to put in a show. So, like, to have that person write the freelance, like, maybe it 
it violates the spirit of the freelance rule, which is, I guess, to give opportunity to other people. But it does give opportunity to that person, and they're, they're going to be the best at it. Yeah, they're just you're going to get team. the best script. And also, if it is, especially if it's a network show with 22 scripts, somebody else is going to get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, look, at the end of the day, you want to have it have the freelance script be the least amount of work for everybody in that room so you don't get a script season two the other writer's assistant does then you come back for season three and is that when you had your first episode yeah yeah so between season two and season three i called the showrunners like we knew we were coming back and and just kind of decided to make it known that i was interested in doing a script and it was very nervous i had like wrote something down and practiced it in a mirror or whatever and even though i was on the phone it was like asking a girl to the prom it it was very much like that it was like asking for the first script of my career and i was super nervous and i called i think it was neil goldman who's running superior donuts right now and i I was like hey just let you know my voice is probably cracking and um just like so we're coming back and i'd be interested in doing a script if you guys and i had like all these reasons why i'd be good at it and before i could even get to this yeah we just kind of assumed you would yeah. So the, the decision had already been I, made. I guess I know. But. I know people have had some things say. Oh yeah, we know. Yeah, you. Yeah, well, you know, when we all, you know, like you get the call like in the off season, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, we know. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's fine. Yeah, of course you're coming. And then also, I know other people are like, sure, like to come back next season. I was like, well, yeah, of course you're going to come back next season. Why? Why would we want to replace you? Like you already know how to do it. So, yeah. but that's great though that yeah. they were coming from that place because a lot of people, even if. The person on the other end of the phone, and I don't mean specifically about Neil, who you called, just any person on the end of the phone might be like, oh, I know that we want to give them a script, but we're going to sort of go through this weird machinations where it's like, oh, you know, we'll see how it goes. And then it turns into a whole thing. And I've certainly heard those stories, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, writer's assistant advice out there, like if you're a writer's assistant on a show that's never going to give you anything, you're kind of wasting your time. Like, I mean, you're yeah. not wasting, you're being employed and you're learning things, but you're like not advancing but don't, your career. But don't stay there for too long. You yeah. Know? But, like but a so couple what, seasons in a writer's room where they are not going to give you an opportunity is going to be great because you can then go on to a show where they will give you an yes, opportunity. Yes, exactly. But like when they start doing that thing of just like, I don't know, I don't know, it's just like stringing you along. And what they're basically telling you is like, I don't know if it's worth it for you to work here. I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll feel it out if this is worth your time. Like, but um, for them, they were very cool about it. So going into season three, I knew I had this episode that I was going to get to write. Very excited about it. I knew I was going to be writing it over Christmas break because that's the way the community did it. Everyone got two weeks off so that one of the other writers didn't have to write it. So they got true two weeks off. They would have the writer assistant would write their script then. Also, it makes sense because the writer assistant doesn't have to have someone fill in for them because the because you do it during Christmas, yeah. So I knew that was coming, and then weirdly, like not weirdly because it was community, half, half the staff turned over because people get burnt out when they're working. Like there are people who are there working two years of like you know those 30 hour shifts you just referenced yeah Yeah. so there was a bunch of new writers and that was weirdly like you know so i went from like the new guy to like you know someone who like knew what he was doing and knew the show better than some of these new people or whatever and it wasn't like it was competition i just kind of like felt more like part of the part of the gang or at least like felt valuable in that way so season three i knew this was coming up i knew how the room worked I knew there was a lot of time where I would be in the room but not actually doing any work because someone else was typing. So I just kind of like said, I'm going to act like I'm on staff. I'm going to, you know, prepare myself the way I would if I was a staff writer. I'm going to like, you know, try to pitch when I can. And, And at this point, like the older people were used to me pitching 
so that was cool. And then when I would pitch, and the old people wouldn't get mad, the new people would be like, "Okay, I guess it's this just must the be the way, way it goes." Yeah, yeah. It's the way it goes around there's, here. There's no new guys like, "Hey, quiet down, writer's assistant. Yeah, You're not yeah, a writer." Yeah, yeah. yeah, despite the the acceptance of all the old hands here, I raise an <laughs> objection. And, um, so yeah, so that so I kind of weaseled my way into that staff a little more. And I mean, at this point, we're all friends, and you know, in the way that like you have a thousand private jokes when you've like been tired for too long together. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you can all kind of count on each other. And, and my, my script went well, and, and uh, so it was a good season that way. And so did you get staff season four, or did you just get another freelance script? Well, in? there was an interesting bump in the road where at the end of season three, I started hearing from a lot of the writers, like, hey, you know, Dan Dan says, uh, I believe he said, really kicking the old school grooves or something in the writer's room. Like, Tim's really kicking the jams, kicking out the jams or something, and whatever. Like, I... I some weird way of saying I had been contributing well and they're like yes he has been and at that point like the season ended we hadn't got a pickup yet and I, I wrote an email to Dan that was like very it was like the email version of that phone call I had about my script it's like oh, your voice cracked in the email yes, which is yeah. very difficult to do I, that shows that you're a good writer though. I wrote a lot of to... things phonetically just to show <laughs> how nervous I was and and that's actually where he got the voice for Rick and Rick and Morty is actually <laughs> yeah, you yeah. in that email yeah he gave it to Justin and he said this is how god that show's good um, Rick and Morty, I mean. Yeah, look, Community is good too, but yeah, Rick and Morty, it's like crazy because whenever you watch it, you're like, wait, this is on TV? But like, how? How, how did they get this on TV? But it's it's so good. Um, so, and Dan, Dan wrote back, like, well, the good news is, like, I'd already decided that I wanted to staff you and put make you a staff writer next year. The bad news is, I don't know if I will be here next year. People seem to be talking about how um, they want to fire me. Oh, no. So it was like that thing of like oh i know this i know how this this is the story i'll be telling at the end of the bar in 40 years how i uh i i, I had my shot the guy said he was gonna hire me and then he got fired and that's you know that's why i work here at this bar and i'm complaining about hollywood um and, and actually he did get fired and i found out about it the morning i got married oh wow i i don't remember having that conversation with you at your wedding I guess although the, i i think i knew that it happened but i'm like i'm not going to bring that up well the story had broke friday night i got married on a saturday it broke friday night which i did not see because it was like rehearsal dinner night and yeah. i had like relatives in and you guys were around and it was like having fun and i wasn't like glued to the internet mm. the next morning i woke up morning of my wedding mindy got up and she's like in the bathroom in the shower getting ready Less than time to kill. And I turned on my phone and I was like, oh, you have like 75 Twitter <laughs> at mentions. Oh, and that's no. when I found out that, that the guy who said he was going to hire me had got fired. I'm like, fuck, this is really terrible. Um, Happiest day of your life. Honestly, <laughs> and th this was something that I'm like weirdly proud of myself. Like I was very much able to forget that because it was a great day. Yeah. It was so it was, Oh man, it, my wedding day was really fun. We, we won't go into too many specifics, but you got married at Disneyland mm -hmm. and that means that Mickey and Donald were also in attendance. So honestly, anything yeah. else the rest of the day is going to be overshadowed by like, that I moment. Mean, you know, you, you, you've been married. Like it's like all your, yeah. it's like a, this is your life of everybody you know, and it's such a it's, joyful, It's like a celebrity experience. roast where everybody's nice to you. Yeah. You know, they're all up here to say something about you, but there's like yeah. there's like one joke about how bad your golf game is, but then the rest of it is, you know... So, it's, like, I didn't have any, like, sitting around moping. I, I just really enjoyed the day. And so that, it was probably the best day it could have 
happened, you know, because if it had happened like it was the week the, before. It was a really good distraction. Yeah. But then, you know, uh, cut to a little while later, they brought in um, two new showrunners for that season and people who, who are big fans of the show will debate till the end of time. Whether or not that was that a good season. season or whatever. And that was just for my sake. That was that season, season four. four. Okay. Uh, and, and, they, and those guys kind of like, because a lot of the writers were coming back and were like getting in my corner, those guys hired me on staff kind of like right fulfill but this promise. of course they were under no obligation to do no, it they, they and those guys what have they gone on to do they've done a million things yeah I, uh, I forget david garasio they were a team they're not a team anymore david garasio was recently on the goldbergs for a while created that show imaginary mary moses port was he ran wrecked for a little bit i don't know where he is now but those guys are super nice right because I, I knew that they had gone on to do a bunch of things they, and, yeah. but they had done like just shoot me and other things before like they were like kind of like old pros and they, and they hired me and and, and and it makes sense like in that way we were talking about like well, of course you get the script to the writer's system they know the show it was like well if you have a chance to hire a staff writer who's written an episode of the show and been on it for two years and everyone likes him yeah everyone versus, in the room is like this is a good guy versus like taking the gamble on someone who like this person is talented and i've seen their script but you, you know also in your staff writer you probably haven't had a job before right so, yeah and also like well you know this person wrote a great just shoot me spec 10 years ago so i'm sure that they're going to write a good community might as well go with the guy who's already yeah there so so that was my first year as a, as a full full-on writer and of the show. did you get one script with your name on it that year because i got i got one we, we did because it, it i'm only remembering two with your name on it but there must be more than that because i've seen them all i just three total there are three okay but that year we only did 13 that's what it was okay yeah yeah i, th- so I was trying to remember it would have been on. like typically you get two and maybe three if you're like a super over level on a, on a full network order we only got 13 and the the next year season five dan came back yes and i you know a lot of people got let go and i stayed there in fact me and in this other uh, writer andy bobro i believe were the only people who were there before dan there when he wasn't there and then there when he came back did uh he have people that when he left they were like i don't want to work for new people but then oh, came yeah. back with him yeah, yeah okay uh, chris mckenna who you know is a big like workhorse of community like wrote some of your favorite episodes huge part of the success of the show left after dan with season three and then came back in season five to run it with him right so you're there for season five and you get another script. Was that a 13 episode? That was another 13. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Okay. that's why I was trying to, having trouble Seasons remembering why. four, five, and six were only 13 right. episodes. But then that brings us to the end of season five, which season six is the Yahoo season. Yeah. But you didn't work on the Yahoo season. Yeah, and, and it wasn't because I was like, damn, that Yahoo season. It was, the, the, the timeline was this. We were done with season five, waiting to hear about a pickup hearing major news of like NBC is canceling the show um, and then it wasn't looking good and that's when I had um, the vice principals opportunity came up which obviously you know vice principals is this HBO show uh, it's Danny McBride and I'm sorry who else is involved? Walt Goggins yeah was, uh, the, those are the two stars yeah so that and it's like oh this is like a huge project that all of a sudden yeah. I'm at least getting to have a conversation I was a hu- about I was a huge Eastbound and Down fan yeah like and I was like it seemed like it would be a cool show HBO would be interesting and it was like you know it's business wise like it's 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 almost as hard to get your second job as it is to get your first sometimes, especially when you got your first as a writer's assistant. 
because a lot of the assumption might be like, ah, he's just everyone's pal and they gave him a job. Yeah, and they helped him out. You know, like how much did they rewrite his scripts? Yeah, yeah. How much, how much, you know, because everyone's always trying to figure out why you're not as good as you should be. Like when you're a writing team and then you try to like get a job by yourself, they're like, the assumption for some reason is like, oh, the other guy's the genius and you're the idiot that got dragged along or whatever. So, so getting that second job is basically, oh, two people willing to hire this person. They, they're, they're, they check out a little bit more. You're a little more vetted. And it also seemed like a super cool project and I needed money in my life because right. like, I hadn't worked in four or five months or something. So that was another, I had to call Dan and another one of those like rehearsed phone calls where like my voice is cracking and I'm super nervous to be like, hey man, like, I know you gave me a career and everything, but I... Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you have a show anymore. I, and also, like, I was under contract. I had to, like, ask out of my contract. And, of course, the answer was like, oh, of course, man. Take that opportunity. Yeah. Like, like, And the same thing with Chris McKenna, who had been, like, you know, instrumental in, in, in helping me get my job and, and just being a big uh, supporter of me at that same conversation. Oh, of course. You got to take the, the job you know you're going to have, and it sounds like a cool, and, you know, they're both interested in it, and they want to know what it was. And Yeah, and then it's, like, also, like, oh, it's a different group of people. I think they all understand, like, yeah, you already yeah. know us, so you work with us for another year, you're going to still and know us. And then very shortly after, NBC canceled Community, so in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I guess I dodged that bullet by, by taking this other job. And then only a month and a half later did it get resurrected by, by Yahoo. Back at a, in a brief moment in history where Yahoo decided, that they wanted to do things like generate yeah. half-hour shows. A friend of Heather's who was a writer on Mad Men, he was working on a show that they were developing, Yahoo, and they just very suddenly were like, yeah, this isn't going forward. Just yeah. very abruptly pulled the plug because I don't think it had anything to do with the content of what Community was, and I think there was something else they had. It was just like, oh, yeah, people don't come to Yahoo to yeah. find They're their TV. They're making no money. Also, there are... They were like, it was, I'm looking at this from the outside, so I can kind of tell you exactly what it was like. Oh, cool, I'd love to watch Community. I'm watching it on Apple TV, but if I did go to yahoo.com, I'm like, how can I find Community? I don't know. Yeah, right, exactly. And it's funny because you even... You like click five buttons and one's even here and one's there. Even shows that are on streaming services that I watch other shows on, Heather and I used to always watch the mini project together. We liked it. We thought it was a very funny show. Yeah. It was not what we expected. It went over to Hulu. We have Hulu. I don't have to do any kind of like sneaky internet download to get the episode. I could watch them at any time, but it doesn't show up in our DVR. There's no awareness of it. So we kind of forgot. And I think there's two seasons, maybe even more. There's like, and I'm sure we'll watch them at some point because we like her. We liked the show. But it just was completely out of the realm of possibilities that we would think, like, you know what we should watch when we sit down? Because, you know, we have an Amazon Fire Stick. We have an Apple TV. We could have watched it on our TV. For some people, it's just like, I don't want to watch that on my computer, that show that I used to always watch on TV. We didn't even have that problem. It's just we weren't thinking of it. And I think that's what happened with Community when it wasn't – I know the time slot moved a bunch. But when it wasn't like, oh, it's going to be on this night and by the next day or maybe within the next 48 hours, everyone will have seen it and they'll be talking about it, you know, maybe be tweeting at you, things about the show. But then when – it's the slow burn of like, oh, it's online now. And they only did one at a time, right? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Did, they did weekly. So, I mean, that's kind of smart, I think, to do that. But at the same time, then it's like, well, not everybody's watched it yet. And, oh, I'm too behind. I can't talk about it. So the 
I don't even mean to try and be funny with the the wordplay, but the community for the show community sort of wasn't as involved and as close-knit as it had been. The hardcore fans were, they knew when they were dropping and they were there. But like you said, what the kind of online release model does is it means everyone's watching it at a different time, so there's not the, like, we we all just saw this. Let's all talk about it right now. Because... You know, ten percent of the people are just like, ah, I'm gonna watch it tomorrow or yeah. whatever. And, you know, I guess people were doing that with DVR in some way, but it was you know less. I think it was less of it. Yeah, the fact that people would be sitting at home and like, what's on TV right yeah. now? Oh yeah, Community's on in five minutes. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I, don't know, I, I thought it was a funny season, it was, and it was kind of a cool experience to. I started watching that show as a fan, worked there for four years, and then got to watch another season as a fan. My wife is a big fan too, so we, we would sit there and, and, and be like, oh, Community's on tonight, and get excited that we got to watch a new episode without any of the baggage. Like, I, I can look at any episode of Community when I work there, and, and like, in the back of my head, I'm remembering, like, the thing we cut, or the thing that didn't happen, or who was yelling at, at what actor, or whatever. <laughs> and like, you know, like, you, you, all, you it's hard to divorce yourself from that, but it was, it was a, a fun little treat to have another season of Community yeah. where I got to just be like, this is very funny, and all I get to know about it is what they want me to see yeah no no i mean that makes sense and you know there are shows that you stop working on them where you've never seen an episode ever again which is law and order svu because for some reason i did watch that show because i liked law and order so i watched svu and i started working there and uh between the times i worked there i also didn't work it i didn't watch it because you know i'd, I'd seen enough of how the you know the, the sausage was made how the the formulaic procedural sausage was made, and I was just like, yeah, I, I get it. Like you see enough Law and Order shows, you're like, okay, I got it. I, I know how it works. Yeah. Uh, great, they they do that well, and that show's been on for like what 18 years now. Good for them, and you know, it's crazy when you think about it. You know, our our friend Allison is a writer on that show again. She She's actually moved to New York because who's my, running that now? Chernuchin is now and. During the last couple of years, the writers moved to New York, whereas the writers had been in Los Angeles for all the Law and Order shows. That's more for our audience and for Tim because he knows that. And she very suddenly got this job where she's like, "Yeah, so I'm working on this for you again." I'm like, "Oh my god, wow, that's great!" Yeah, and I have to move to New York on Tuesday. This was like on a Thursday, so they're it was at all Chelsea Piers. Now? Yeah, they're at Chelsea Piers, and the writers got used to the writers being in the same city. So you know, yeah. that's just the there way. There were works. when I was doing Criminal Intent in New York. Renee Balsay was at least half the time based out of New York, so half the writers were like New York people. And also, like you know, that that franchise fetishizes like hiring like New York playwrights and making them TV writers. So there's a lot of like you know, people who are like, I'm not leaving New York. I have like five plays in development. Yeah, which is interesting because a lot of shows will do that, and you see that a lot of shows hire playwrights, and then when you look closely, you see a lot of shows fire playwrights too. <laughs> but look, some some of them are a good fit. But if you're if your plays aren't about procedural New York cop stories you're probably not yeah. a good fit there are some people that made the transition very well i think warren light is still like running shows over there yeah he ran svu for a while yeah. and i think that and he, he moved it he's the one who managed to moved it to new york uh so it's good that your experience working on community didn't make you not a fan of it you know you were still like no i still want to oh, see I, yeah. I want to see what everybody's up to i was I mean, I mean it's your job to kind of think that you're working on the most important thing in the world when you're working on a show but like i i drank every drop of kool-aid i thought it was a special show and i thought it was you know we were really doing something great and and you know but it's good that you didn't feel the need to 
put the Kool-Aid down as soon as they weren't, you know, putting food oh, on the table no. and paying the mortgage. I mean, it's also, it's a weird thing. It's like, it's like when we moved, when you and I moved out here from New York, you're always like, what are those guys doing back there? <laughs> you know, it's the same <laughs> thing. It's just like, man, I just left this party. Like, what's, what's, yeah. what, what happened at the party after I left? What crazy things are people <laughs> up to? Like, what stories will I never know? What kind of party where anything can happen and usually doesn't? But <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. So you end up with the opportunity to write on Vice Principles, which... You were there for how long? Because it was kind of a unconventional writers' room, which yeah. I don't know how much you want to talk about. But oh, yeah. talk a little bit I'll, about. I'll go what into it. it. Yeah, because um, uh, uh, I think it's it's fascinating. I love. I'd never heard of anything like the this. The idea shows are always different because they are always run differently, like b- based on the showrunner's preferred way of doing things. Community was very last minute. Not because we sat around doing nothing forever. Oh, we did that sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it be, because like Dan was a perfectionist, and there was always a better idea, and maybe we hadn't hit it yet. And and and, and some of the the best episodes we did came because we scrapped something at the at the end and and kind of jammed on something at the last minute. But the vice principles, the way it ran, it was it was run. Uh, Danny McBride ran the room along with John Carcheri, who uh, they were both North Carolina School of the Arts guys, along with Jody Hill and David Gordon Green, and kind of like the whole rough house. Huh, I'm actually wearing their T-shirt right now. Look at that uh, the the picture that will no doubt be featured on yeah. our social media. The whole um, rough house crew were all all went to film school together in North Carolina, and they stuck together and they made indie movies, and and they came out here. Danny and John. Had also, you know, of course, uh, Danny did Eastbound and ran that with Jody. Jody this time was kind of developing a movie, so I think he was less involved in the writing and much more involved in the directing and uh, shooting side of the of Vice Principals. So Danny and John were running this room, and they did it the same way they did um, Eastbound and Down, which was kind of instead of being in a, in a group setting where we're kind of writing stories as a group. And then you sign off on a story and you write an outline and then, and then it gets assigned to you as a writer to write. It was much more individual writing and it was also much more like, I kind of think of it like research and development. Like we wrote dozens of versions of every episode. Like just, we would write, you know, an episode a week. You just keep writing drafts and drafts and drafts because the way those guys like to be presented ideas was not like, let me talk it out or let me hand you an outline. It was like, let's see it. Let's see if it works. Let's see if these scenes are funny. Let's see if this story can, you know. So we were just constantly writing new drafts, new drafts, new drafts. And then we'd switch. I'd give you episode two and I'd take episode one. New drafts, new drafts, new drafts. You know, and you get notes in between. Like you kind of go up and you talk to Danny and John and they would say, we like this thread of episode two. We like these scenes, but this is a thing we don't think is working. So, like, you go do a draft that's maybe only half new stuff or whatever. And in the meantime, we're kind of also occasionally talking about big picture stuff. Although that was Danny and John were doing a lot of like the big picture planning, while the rest of the staff, was four or five guys, were off doing these drafts of the various episodes. Now, also the writers' assistants are filing all this stuff away because you you're talking about episode one going back and forth like can you even guess how many drafts existed of say episode one would there be like 20 oh i was gonna say probably like high 20s yeah like that. so and they could be sitting around and be like you know what there was one you did like last week where i liked this thing yeah and then this other thing from two days ago so then the writer's assistant have to know like oh so that's version 
8 and mm-hmm. version 16. They were doing a lot of cutting and pasting, take this thing from the old thing, take that yeah. thing. Or sometimes, like, a whole draft would be would be fruitless except for, like, one idea. Like, my friend Adam County came up with the idea, like, what if, if this teacher, Miss Snodgrass, is, like, an aspiring YA novel writer? Well, the rest of that draft got thrown out, but that idea, but that idea. Was oh, that's great, and that became like a thread throughout the whole the whole series. So it was a lot of like you're kind of constantly generating material, and it's just being moved around, and 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 then it finally they settle on certain things, and then it became more traditional, where it was like, okay, this is the script, let's put it up on the on the screen and go line by line, and like try to punch up stuff and try to do whatever. And how many episodes did you work on? Because they were doing two seasons back to back. Well, that was the other thing. We going into it, we knew eighteen episodes total. It was it was going to be a limited series. There would be an end, but we didn't know if it was going to be one season of eighteen, two of nine, three of six, and so like I believe at the beginning. I'm trying to remember because a while ago now. There was a lot of like, well, if it was three seasons, how would it break down? If it was two seasons, how would it break down? And like, maybe the first season will be from the perspective of the teachers, and the second season would be from the perspective of the students, and and you could lay them over each other. You know, there's a million kind of ways trying to figure out what we wanted to do with these 18 episodes, and then eventually Danny and John decided on on two seasons of nine, and and, and we wrote them all at once. Um, in one big writing session, because the idea was that we were going to write the entire series before they shot anything. Um, and which is what I remember, you were working on something where you were like, yeah, it's going to be on HBO in like two years or a year and a half. I forget how far out it was, but it was so long from when you had that job yeah. that I was just like, wow, that's so far off. Like, mm-hmm. so, so their way of doing stuff came from, because none of these guys came up through traditional TV writers' rooms. They, they were film students. They were independent filmmakers. <laughs> There's their theme song, which is the uh, the Windows uh, startup, <laughs> which apparently my computer decided to restart, even though it's closed and has water on it. Is it like performing any function right now, or is it? I don't know. It's I, not I, like recording us, is it? No. Oh, no, all the water just dripped down into oh, it. Well, that's all right. Anyway. Oh, um, so yeah, so they kind of, like when they did Eastbound, they just figured out their own system that worked for them. And, and that's kind of what we did on Vice Principles. So, yes, we, we wrote the whole thing. We wrote 18 episodes. And then I moved on to American Dad. Yeah, which I think is kind of interesting. So you that show was done. You were done with it. Yeah. There was no more work for you, well, but they yet went, you were they still went there. They went to, to um, South Carolina to shoot. They love shooting in the Carolinas. That's, you know, they are comfortable there both because it's like a cool place to be but also because it's like this place you don't see on tv so like their shows look different they're ex- they love the way the extras are just like regular looking people instead of like some guy who like just did a role on the sitcom and is is like the criminal of the week on this other thing and he looks like a like a polished much actor. how you were once a professional extra i was once a professional extra <laughs> so so they're down in south carolina and they eventually did, they did do some rewrites because like none of these actors we wrote it before he was even cast, too. We didn't even know what role Danny was going to play. And then it became clear what he was going to play. But So, like, once they started shooting the first season, I think they realized people's strengths and what was working and what they wanted to do more of. And they did about a, another month or so of rewriting season two between seasons. And I was already on American Dad at that point. So. And the job on American Dad came about because you ran into somebody at a party, right? No, no. In season five of Community, there was a writing team, um, Jordan Bloom and Parker Day, who showed up for the first time that season and we had a good time that year and you know worked out well and we were friendly and and and, uh i think 
a lot of the community ran in a similar way to American Dad in the way that that year we had joke rooms where like it would just be like here's a joke area write 40 of them we'll pick the best one and that's a big part of the way American Dad runs so I think they kind of thought like oh Tim seems like he would probably work well at American Dad which didn't mean anything at the point because they had left the show to work on community but they ended up going back to American oh, Dad okay. after um, after community just because the timing worked out over there and then when Vice Principals was done, or when it was about to be done, I, I, I got a, a text from I mean, Jordan. It was just like, hey, are you working right now? Like, we just lost a writer halfway through a season of American Dad, and we're looking for, for like, you know, whatever your level is. And I told him, you'd probably be good at it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. So I went in, and I met with them, and, and the timing worked out as such that, like, I finished Vice Principals on a Friday and started American Dad on a Monday. I, I think the fortuitous timing is probably why I thought you just ran into somebody you knew at a party. I guess it's the text. That's why it was in my head that way, though. It was because I knew it was out of the blue. that all Because yeah. it wasn't like, oh, I hear American Dad is hiring. Let me try and get that. No, I just knew that it it yeah. didn't literally fall in your lap because it was somebody you knew, but pretty close. Yeah, I'll be, it was Yeah, it was just one of those things. Like, if you're around enough, you, like, hopefully you're on someone's mind when a job opens up. And as we're talking now in mid-2017, that is your current job, and you've been there for how long right now? Well, for- I, I did that the half a season when I first got there. And then I've done two full seasons since. I can't believe it's been two full seasons. Yeah. That's crazy. And well, it's, it's because much like Vice Principal, it's weird. I went from the show community that sometimes we finish writing an episode and it'd be on the air in like three weeks to two different types of shows where we wrote it and it didn't air for a very long time, but for different reasons. Right, because you've had one episode air, but how many have you written that have I've d- yet done, to be I've, animated? I've, uh, in fact, on Thursday I have to go. My, my second one is back from Korea in a, in a well, color And screening. talk a little bit about the process. So you write it, and you know it gets rewritten the way any show does. It's very similar to any other show that I've been on at the beginning. You're breaking stories, you're writing stories, you have a table read. And then the difference is after the table read, it's you're recording actors individually in, 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 a, in a booth. And uh, then those pieces of audio are put together by an editor, and you have basically a radio play of the show, and the whole time you're kind of going in, and, and, and what I thought was really cool about American Dad is that you're very hands-on as a writer. Matt Weitzman, who runs a lot of the, the production side of the show, one of the creators, um, will bring in the writers to each phase of production. They'll help you look at the storyboards, which is super cool. I'd never done that before. These big, thick binders of drawings of every, literally every frame. You go into the radio, uh, record uh, booths with the actors. You go into this um, radio play edit where you can be like, ah, can we take a little air out here? Can we, we have a different take of that line? It, it's super fun to watch it come together. And then you have the next time everybody as a group sees it is an animatic screening, which people don't know. Which is, is well, go ahead, you explain it better than I can. Kind of black and white half drawings, like, you know, the lips aren't moving. It's basically like every pose and every face and like the minimum amount of animation to let you know how a scene or a joke should play. So we'd screen that in front of all of us writers and in front of the whole animation crew because they're seeing their work for the first time. And then we do another note session as if it was a rewrite, you know, like on a table read or something, except these notes can be like, they can be about the way the animation is as much as they can be about the dialogue. Does it come down to the sort of thing like, hey, you know, let's make sure that Steve's wearing a red shirt and not a green one? Is it like that kind of, and that's probably a bad example, but that kind of minutiae that it's like it's important it, for some reason it, it that he wears a green? That. That's a point in the, in the process. There's actually a point 
I forget exactly where it falls in because I'm still, you know, I'm not the master of this one yet, the animation process. But there's a point where, like, you, you go in with the colorists and you're just like, uh, you know what? That guy's hair is so dark against the dark background. Let's change the color of the background or the right. hair. Or, like, I was thinking more like like a uh, red shirt would would be great here for some reason or whatever there is a point where you're just you're literally just like looking at colors and trying to make sure things work better like my first episode there was a thing where like stan comes back from an award show and he's taking off his black pants but he also has black socks and there for some reason you need to be able to differentiate between the two i think when the pants came down around his ankles it looked you didn't want it to look like he had a big weird shaped foot I don't know. There's a lot of that. It just it, 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 you you can the control you have at every level is so staggering compared to um, the the control you have in a one hour camera. But most importantly, you got Felix's name into the episode. Oh yeah. Just as you had also gotten my last name onto a nameplate in Community. Yeah, and, that's uh, a fun little thing you get to. You do get sometimes. to do stuff like that. But it, that that nameplate in Community, I don't know how many people on Facebook like sent me messages of like you know they they did, it wasn't screenshots they took a picture with their camera and like posted on Facebook. It was like, I saw your name and people who knew you were a writer on there understood it. But some people were like, that's such an unusual last name. Yeah. Is this about the Danish boxer? As a matter of fact, it is. It is about the, the Danish boxer black cast, which is a completely different one than the one we do. So, an episode of American Dad, from the time you sit down to write it, and it's not even like talking about breaking the story, but sit down to write it, how long before it aired, at least in the case of the first episode? I My know first episode took a little longer just because of the way TBS was airing the episodes that were done. Normally, it's about a year. Right. Um, I think mine, I think I wrote it in like a November, and it aired in an April, so it was a little longer just because of the way they were staying sometimes they don't run us all at once they'll run like six new ones in a row and then wait till they have another new show that they want to like get a little um like ratings boost so they'll put new american dads before this new show they're premiering to kind of help get you know some viewers to maybe stick around for the new show they're trying to sell so but you know a year is a good rule yeah that that sounds about right which is is interesting to think about you know from doing stuff you know because also one of the last things I want to talk about is you're also, you've been involved with Upright Citizens Brigade for a while, and the monthly show that you guys do, I always think is a, is a great concept, and this is kind of the opposite of animation, which yeah. you call Sketch Cram. Uh, uh, yeah. Just explain what it is, and for people in L.A. who might be interested, so you know, it's easy to find out Sketch how they do it every Cram, month. Uh, is a show that uh, it originated in New York, like, in the mid-2000s, and then came out here i believe in 2007 and and you basically create an entire sketch show from scratch in a day and it's not like a 24-hour day it's a start at 10 a.m show goes up at midnight day um so basically writers come in at 10 pitch ideas that they haven't worked on before by around noon we've assigned everybody to write two or three of those ideas as full sketches um 4 30 our actors show up and we do like a big read through of all the sketches that have been written. Then we pick the sketches to be in the show, usually around 10 ish, um, have writers do rewrites. Then, you know, everyone runs off to go get their props and costumes and the actors learn the lines. We have about two to three hours, two hours really backstage to rehearse with the actors and them to rehearse with themselves. Show goes up at midnight. It's, it's, yeah. And that sort of seems like kind of, a more fun 
thing that's a throwback to the sort of stuff we used to do in New York when yeah. we first started doing. You know, we were doing the comedy shows. There would sometimes be some sketches and things that we would write that day. But just that sort of very live atmosphere, you know, immediately. And you'd done a lot of stuff with what I guess is now called just I.O., not Improv Olympic oh, yeah. and UCB. So to still have sort of your your toe in that world in addition to writing, you know, like we said, animation, which takes so long, it's sort of... I don't know. I feel like it's fulfilling because you're getting to do the very different kind of things. And something like Sketch Cram, it's like the sketches are going to be about kind of anything. So you yeah. really don't know what it is that it's, you're going to be working on. It's a fun on. place to get out all the weird ideas and just like, you know, sketches so different than 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 narrative stories. Like, you know, when you're when you're doing a, a, a TV show, you know, you're basically doing story first and then you know, the job is that you should be able to make anything funny as a comedy writer. So like you make the story and then you write the jokes around it. Whereas a sketch can just be like, Oh, that's a silly idea. Let's take three minutes to explore that idea to be the most you could possibly do before it becomes boring and then you're out. Or as as some TV shows will do, they'll add four more minutes to those three minutes to try and be like, no, let's really try yeah, and hammer it. Yeah, home. yeah, yeah. Let's make his hair get one level bigger <laughs> in the hair getting big sketch. Is that I don't even know that from last episode or this episode. It was from a episode of an episode of this show, so that's the key. But I knew we could bring it all back together with something, a callback to an earlier episode uh tim i really appreciate you taking so much of your time out of your day where god only knows what you could have been doing instead of this but uh always fun to talk one comedy but also actually writing comedy and succeeding in writing comedy uh, for a living and i knew that i wanted to have this conversation with you on the podcast because of the different kinds of shows you've had a chance to work on just in these four years since the last time you were on so you're obviously welcome to come back anytime. Let's try and do it less than four years. I think let's 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 set our sights on three years. I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. I want to be on episode five hundred. I say it right here. I, not, I'm not saying I can't be on before, but I but want, you want to be on episode yeah. five hundred. All right. I think we could uh, find a script from one of our old the sweet polyester sketches, and we will reenact it for number five hundred. <laughs> It's something I sketched that had something to do with a bucket of water. I can't really remember what it was, but I remember writing something like that. So you, you, you heard it here. You haven't mentioned what I'm drinking got water out of. This well, because no one has seen it. It'll be featured in photographs. But uh, he has a mug called uh, for a show called Lounging with Tony, which I asked around here at AfterBuzzers. Apparently, is a guy named Tony. But I don't know that there is a show that is done at AfterBuzz called Lounging with Tony. It somehow got in your kitchen, though. Yeah, there's a few odd mugs that are in there. I'm. I've got one for Book Circle because we're talking about all the books that Tim and I have written together. Um, it's weird because we wanted to get into the snuff film market, but we didn't have a camera. So we started doing snuff books. And yeah. look, they're nowhere near as popular, yeah. but equally as hard to find. But if you do get one, we want to make sure it's a quality snuff book. They're very short. <laughs> oh, yes, Absolutely. And on that note, thanks again to Tim Sicardo at Tim Sicardo on Twitter. Are you on Instagram? I don't even know no, if you're there. Yeah, I, you're... I, it's just I don't need any more things. Facebook and Twitter. No, it's good. Good. And and Facebook, you know, that's sort of it's a little bit uh, on the way out anyway. For in terms of posting things it's on it, it's fine to like see pictures of my my cousin's baby and things yeah, like that. Right, exactly. You want to know what Felix had for lunch? That's the way I don't post that on Twitter. So you're gonna have to find it on yeah. Facebook. Uh, anyway, we always appreciate that as as always. I'm Christian Blatt at Christian DMZ and let us know what you thought about these conversations uh, maybe we'll get Tim to come back sooner if you have a lot of specific comments about what we talked about in these 
what really added up to three episodes Sounds because like we did the threat. flashback. Sounds like a threat. That's a threat. If you we'll don't have comment. Him back. Yeah, if you don't comment, then he won't come back. So then they'll be like, hmm, which one of those do I want? But uh, we really appreciate him taking the time. And, uh, you know, we'll be back next week with some different kind of shenanigans. That's the best part of the black cast. I don't really know from week to week what will necessarily be next week. And that's why I think people should listen. But... That hasn't worked so far. But anyway, you can, of course, follow at BlackCast on Twitter, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, The BlackCast on Facebook, and BlackCast.com. We will see you next time on The BlackCast. Welcome to The BlackCast. It is I, Christian Blatt. The cast of characters is missing. That sounded stupid. We're the purple of